Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to is, Look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulb, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. You know, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just it's, they're just... There's, <laughs> Good racing, and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. This week on Inside Supercars, we hear from Matt Braid, Phil Keed, and Brad Jones. I hope you'll stay with us for what should be an interesting chat as we work our way back towards Hidden Valley and the return of the championship to the racetrack. Well, Matt Braden, interesting time for supercars, the announcement of the uh, new name moving forward and obviously a lot of things that have been put in place over the last 18 months now are, are finally seeing um, the light of day. How has head office been looking at the implementation and then the feedback, firstly, of the name change? Yeah, thanks, Craig. I think, look, you're right, it has been a work in progress and really pleasing with regards to the naming rights partner that we have for the championship now in Virgin Australia. And that really did spark, you know, working on that sort of sparked the opportunity to look at the name change. I mean, it's, it's no secret that we did plan to change the name 1st of January next year in line with our, with our change to the Gen 2 rules or the opening up of the Gen 2 rules. But it made sense to, if you're adopting a new naming rights partner, we took that opportunity to, to do it uh, mid-year, or effectively now. And uh, that's been well received. I think uh, some of the general media were probably caught by surprise, but we know most of our fans knew it was coming. And particularly when we've been talking about uh, while the V8 name might be dropped from the, the, the categories, categories name, it doesn't mean that V8s won't be represented. You know, we envisage that V8s will be in our series for a long, long, long time to come. A simple change, and certainly domestically, New Zealand, everyone understands what a V8 supercar is. With other markets, though, outside of Australia, a supercar is something different. Does that make it a very difficult um, situation? in the international and in the global scheme because a supercar is a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a a Bugatti and those type of cars overseas are what people vision as a supercar. Yeah, I think the the supercar name obviously refers to road cars but when it comes to motorsport categories, the supercars... Uh, mantra is ours, and and that we're we're very well known for that over and overseas from our, our international fan base. So when it comes to watching the race series, they know it as V8 supercars. The supercars moniker won't be an issue for them because it's again they know the series, so we don't think it'll be a, a problem for us. Because it's not the fans you've already got that you're looking for. You're looking for new people, yeah, new no, fans. Yeah, and I think when it comes to, uh, again, uh, from a racing product perspective, you know, supercars is ours. So you know, when people talk about supercars globally from a racing perspective, then obviously our, uh, our category is there and, and foremost in everyone's mind. Were there many other options? No, it was really that that was the plan from, from day one, that um, V8 supercars has the heritage from its original formation. We knew one day that we would potentially drop the... Uh, drop it from the, the name and obviously the Gen 2 situation afforded that. Now you obviously were integral in getting up and running with the Volvo program. How do you see the Gen 2 rules and how do you see that's going to be um, introduced and managed throughout what might be uh, manufacturer land? 
Yeah, it's a good question. So Gen, Gen 2 really was about opening the door and allowing a lot more freedom for manufacturers, both currently participating in the series and potentials to participate in the series, that they could look at bringing a new uh, or a different engine format than just V8s. So it did open the door. Uh, we are in conversations with, with numerous manufacturers. We're working with our current manufacturers as well to sort of see what the, where they see their uh, technology and, and, and racing uh, engines in the future. Um, but you know, there's conversations ongoing, but I think it's great that we've actually... we've, we've Open the door a little bit, and it's allowed us to have conversations with manufacturers that some years ago we might not have been able to do. Does it matter if it's three years until the first engine changes? Uh, in our view, probably not. No, I think it's as long as we have strong competitors in our field, that's the main thing. And if our current manufacturers want to uh, phase in or phase out changes, whatever might suit them, that's fine. And equally, someone coming in has the scope to potentially they could run a V8 from tomorrow if they want to, and, and in Gen 2 next year or they could change to another configuration. So it really, we want to be able to handle uh, and not put pressure on manufacturers, actually handle their preferred preferred engine format. Well, one of the other things that uh, the organisation has been working with over the last particularly three years is the Saturday-Sunday formats. And um, this year, going back to a longer Saturday race rather than two short Saturday races... How's that been reflected in the feedback you've been receiving from fans and television numbers and all those KPIs that you use to measure success and failure for that? Yeah, absolutely. So fan comments been very positive. Audience has been up. Nine different winners from ten races. I mean, it's fantastic. So it shows that the format's, format's working. We've got to keep watching it, obviously, but the, the show is better than ever on the track, and that's the main thing. That's what we're really here for. Is it the longer races? Is it tyres? Which What do you think has been the most successful I'd say a combination of both. You know, I think the tyres have certainly made a difference, and the f- but the formats equally throw the strategy question in there as well, and uh, and you know, creating a focus on track for some very good close hard racing, which we've seen over the preceding rounds. One thing it has highlighted though is uh, the importance of pit stops in every race. It's a double-edged sword because we do have uh, teams up and down pit lane that don't have a complete crew working on their car. Are you looking at addressing the inequalities of when you have a single-car team pitting with a three-car team or two single-car teams pitting together? No, I think our regulations are what they are, and it's in, it's in the interest of every team to work within those, and I think majority are. Um, but the, if there's inequalities, it's usually down to the decisions of the teams themselves rather than necessarily the, the, the rules and regulations. But if a team wanted to pit their own car and they were a one-car team, that's not open to them at the moment? At, at this stage, no. no. Well, does that need to change? Oh, I don't think so. It's been operated in that format for a while. However, it's more a uh, grid and, and uh, pit allocation from a, a safety and pit lane point of view. So it's something which we may look at in the future, but at this stage that won't be changed. When we look at the media side of things, we're now moving towards a, a second year of the new configuration. You mentioned before TV numbers are up, but what are the metrics? Because there's, a, there's a, a much larger calibration now and there's a much larger opportunity to watch Fiat supercars, there's a lot more new media how do you manage what those numbers mean to what a uh, to what a company, what a corporation is looking for? Yeah, I think we watch all our media, so we talk about the the, the TV audience because obviously there's a lot of focus last year on the TV broadcast deal that's up 25% year to date on last year which was up again 29% on the year before, so the content for V8 supercars for our fan base on on uh, subscription TV and free-to-air TV is, is increased. Um, 
then we also look at digital and obviously our digital audience so we're very focused on that also um, and then attendance you know so it's, it's literally eyeballs eyeballs at the track eyeballs on television eyeballs on the, on the, the smaller screens so we do watch them very closely uh, and, and obviously and utilise KPIs and all those specific media How much has it changed though? How much has the television KPI moved to what the digital media KPI is now? Yeah, so the, it's a good question. So both of both are strong. So the broadcast media is up twenty five percent. Digital is actually increasing probably significantly more than that, albeit off you know or more organically. Um, when we look at the TV broadcast, we're now the third most watched uh, sport on Fox Sports behind uh, NRL and AFL, uh, which is a really good result for us. So the the audience is really adapted to to us on the Fox platform and an increasing popularity on the Fox platform, which is great. Digital-wise, we have our own, obviously, uh, social channels, our website, and our, our social media. Um, audience through that, posts, video views, engagement levels are all significantly increasing. So um, yeah, we, we, keep, we monitor it each week, and it's growing. That's the main thing. That's what we want. And obviously, we're reflecting that to the value to, our, one, providing it to our fans, but also then providing it to our sponsors and stakeholders and the team. We'll have more with Matt Braid after the break. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it it means a lot. Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, We were able to beat the two levels to the boys and uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We continue our chat now with Matt Braid from the mothership, as they like to call the head office of supercars in the paddock. You're in the very fortunate position, as are certainly the AFL, where they've got their own production company, and it means when you produce it for one distribution platform, it can be easily rolled out in the other digital areas. Is that, do you think, one of the strengths of the company? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it, it's a really good point. That, that is a true strength of ours. It's a point of difference compared to other sports. That level of uh, control, and it's not it's not done from a point of view of actually seeking control. It's more how it's organically been structured over the years. We've, we've ended up in this position. But now when we look at uh, the digital side, that provides us certainly uh, an extra string to our bow, having that capability to put more content through our digital platform as well as putting on a great show and broadcast-wise. And watching these fantastic teams and their drivers, you know that they're, they're the real, they're the true stars. They put on the action. We're able to broadcast it uh, with a great team of people who know what they're doing and how they film a, you know, a significant and exciting motor race, and that that bodes really well for the sport. Has the integration or the further integration of the Fox Sports Ten coverage into VA, uh, into Supercar Media uh, made much of a difference? Do you think to the product? Uh, I think it's it's made it certainly slicker. You know, I think certainly last year when you look at you know two. You know, V8 Supercars Media, Fox Sports and Channel 10 coming together. Obviously, you do have some adjustments and everyone's, uh, everyone's a new partner. We put on a, a really good show last year, really good events, and towards the end of the year, obviously, it was becoming um, a very, very slick production. Everyone was very happy with it. Now, going into this year, we've actually refined it even further with, this, with those stakeholders, and everyone's very happy with it, and so it's a good result. And, of course, a major change towards the end of the last year when you put in a new head 
of the media company. Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, Simon Fordham, um, who's been with us for a long time, stepped up and, and now manages Supercar Media. And he, and he and his team, he's got a great team of people and they're doing a very good job for us. Mm. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of speculation over Kuala Lumpur. And once again, it's, it's unfortunate because something that's completely out of your control is naturally coming back as your fault uh, in the eyes of of the general public but I guess the only reason this opportunity came about was because you had the media company come in to take an opportunity in a very different field and you were able to bring something else to the party which was uh, obviously a racing series yeah, definitely. So um, the, the Malaysian race, we have a, a long-term contract with them. It, it will happen. So uh, obviously we are caught up in some, some issues, as you mentioned, for this year. Uh, we're hoping to be able to make a decision on that before the end of the month, and we will advise, obviously, our fans and, and stakeholders with absolute priority. Um, but regardless of this year, it's a long-term scenario, so we will be in Malaysia racing in years to come as part of that agreement and then looking at other opportunities as they present themselves. Is the long-term agreement for the media company or is it for the cars on the track? No, the, the, the media company is just purely uh, related to us actually being there. It's not, a, it's not the fact that the media deal came first and then the, the, the category came after. So, it's a, again, it's a, it's a feather in the cap of our, our team, the, certainly Supercars Media, being selected to actually film the event, which is you know, we're, a, we're a, obviously the key category there, but it is a, it's not one of our events. It's actually obviously the Malaysian, Malaysian City, uh, KL City event. So to have them actually be selected uh, to assist with that is, is a, yeah, I think, a, a really sort of a stamp of approval and, and really shows how, how good quality our, our TV crews and our production team are. Mm. You spent a lot of time in, in manufacturing, automotive manufacturing, now in sporting and entertainment. Can you talk me through the change, the difference, and, and what it's been like? Because uh, you've now, as I said earlier, you now were part of the launch of Volvo, you're sitting in Supercar's head office having to look at the departure of Volvo at the end of the year, unfortunately. Yeah, it's amazing how you know, things things do change. And while the Volvo announcement is, is certainly disappointing, um, I think everyone involved in it can certainly be proud of what it's achieved. Um, you know, but I think you look at it from a business point of view, for myself personally, coming across... Uh, there's business requirements on the automotive side, how you run that business, the KPIs you have to operate on. And obviously coming across the sport, the KPIs are different, but obviously the business traits are largely the same. You know, it's all about you know, running a professional business, whether it's automotive, whether it's sport and entertainment, and obviously providing the best you can for your stakeholders, which in our case are the, the teams, uh, our other stakeholders, and certainly our fans. Are there... Uh, is it so, uh, so similar that it's... Um is it so similar that it's uh, it's been a very easy ch- transition, or has it been a real wow? This is a very different culture, a very different um, mindset. Yeah, it's been very different, but no no different to actually transitioning in any different business. I think if you change any company, you're going to have different culture and different ways of doing things. And it's, for myself personally, it's been much the same coming from Volvo and into into supercars. There's differences, but equally, there's core principles of, of business which you abide by, and and it's it's all part of the opportunity and the challenge. You know, and, and that that change is, is something to embrace and, and get on with and, and really enjoy it. What's been the highlight for you so far? I think for me, it's working with a really good group of people, um, and certainly working with James Warburton. And sort of setting the uh, setting the path and structure for the category as it stands this year and going into into the future, I think is really important. And 
um, being able to uh, be able to maintain and improve the strength of the sport, and particularly how it benefits the teams and the fans. You know, I've only been a small part of it. There's other people certainly involved who have done you know, some very heavy lifting, I can assure you. But it's really good to be a part of that team that have you know, turned supercars around from obviously being you know, um, having some difficulties a couple of years ago with broadcasts and commercial revenues to being you know, very strong broadcasts, very strong commercial revenues, increasing audience and increasing fan base and some equally good racing that keeps getting better and better every year. And that's, that's for me, being a part of that team, is very proud of that. How far along are you with plans for the for the Ute series and further integration of them into the into the supercar model yeah so Utes obviously super Utes are very or V8 Utes are very much part of our our, our, our supercars family now uh, we are working with the competitors and looking at um, where we go where we take the category going forward the current strategy or the current uh, category regulations will um, exist this year and into next year and we're working with them on the development of going forward into into 2018 which will see us being more aligned to uh, I guess more updated if you like from a, from a, a manufacturer and, and market relevant product Obviously they had plans to get into that light commercial American pickup truck style vehicle with your manufacturing or your, with your car sales automotive industry hat that's the direction they need to go because Obviously, the current you ends as soon as production ends. Yeah, it's, it's, every sport has to be relevant to the, to its to its audience and to its market. And certainly, Utes has been highly successful over the years. That V8 Ute format, when it was first started, was fantastic, aligned very much with the Holden Ford Ute category. Times have changed, you know, as we've seen in the complete automotive industry has, has changed locally and keeps moving internationally. And therefore, for it, the belief is for it to be really successful and have distinct relevance. And when you have relevance, you have more support, certainly from from the commercial side and also potentially from manufacturers. Then you obviously have to adapt it to be to to obtain that relevance in the manufacturer's eyes. So I think we we have, if you look at how that segment is going in the automotive marketplace, it's the fastest growing, arguably the most competitive now segment in the Australian automotive industry. So let's let's bring that competitive nature of the industry actually onto the track, and that's certainly achievable under the the way we want to move with the regulations. And internationally that would have a lot more uh, synergies with uh, the audiences that you could go to overseas because these cars here, I think, half of them are made in Southeast Asia, the pickup light commercial truck. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, So yeah, not the fact that we're looking at it as an international type category, but certainly, yes, from a, from a, uh, a brand, automotive brand focus, yes, certainly the eyes could be open to it on the basis that it's... They are global. They are global platform cars. You know, most of the manufacturers you say in Asia, but you know, uh, brands watch those models very closely, given they're important to their their sales and obviously revenues in very numerous countries throughout the region, not just Australia. And with that, plans moving forward for that category, will you go to a franchise system? Because at the moment, the franchise system fell over at the end of last year. It's an ad hoc entry list. How how quickly do you think you need to go back to a franchise model? I think that's all up for discussion. So at the moment, there's no plans, but it's something which can be reviewed. So realistically, for us, the, the core focus is on the technical regulations and getting them set for for 2018, in conjunction with the competitors, uh, and then working out how we structure structure the category going forward. But yeah, I wouldn't say at this stage we'd be you know we're in a rush to go back to that franchise system. It's on the basis that it's it's actually under our control. What we want to have is some very good good and uh, highly valued 
teams and participating in it to make it as strong as it can be going forward. Mm. Well, Matt, pleasure to have to, to catch up with you and uh, wish you all the best for this middle part of the season, which is looking like it's not only going to be challenging for the uh, teams and drivers, but also for head office. It will. And thanks very much, Craig. Appreciate it. After the break, we hear from Brad Jones. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Well, Brad Jones, an interesting time in the business of our supercars, and I guess one of the things that has uh, interested a lot of people is how do you and your brother manage to just keep motoring on in an industry where there's so many ups and downs, so many peaks and troughs, not only on the racetrack, but in that back room where you're facing bills, you're facing sponsorships, and trying to marry them all off to... to keep a car on the grid well it's hard going i mean you know we work that's one of it's it's where you spend a lot of your time working um how it how it how the balance is at bjr is kim and i search for some of the money together and but it predominantly is his role to to source the income he's the commercial director and then and then you know we pitch together or we might pitch to the odd one um, by ourselves, but really, you know, we both, that's such an, it's a lifeblood of the business, so we both work pretty hard at that. And then um, I look after the racing component, so everything that happens on the race car really comes comes through my office, and, and, um, and of course, the spend is part of that, so, you know, I'm really careful about where we spend money and, and how we get by. And, and the, the hard thing about V8 supercars or any sort of motor racing is, your budget's pretty much set at the start of the season, but your outgoings fluctuate massively. So it's really just a matter of being able to, you know, have a lot of experiences we have and get the budget right and try and balance that up. But, you know, you see a component and you feel it's going to make the car go faster and it might have a value of $50,000. It's really hard to go, you know what, I really can't afford that. I'm, I'm going to have to do without. So it's it's... You know, it's just years of experience, really, that makes a difference. We've seen a, a lot of teams make decisions in one year that have had very, very um, negative ramifications on outgoing years because of the situation they're in. Can you, in, in your business, where this is your sole business, um, you know, afford to make those sort of decisions? Um, I think everyone makes those decisions. You know, you, you, when you when you're chasing down tenths of seconds, you know, you're not going to get every get it right every time in any business. So, so I mean, you know, you have a big accident, you got to find the money to build another car. So you do have all those those sort of liabilities hanging over your your head to a certain degree. And you know, we have the same thing going on. It's just, you know, it's it's really about managing the risk somewhat. And so, so uh, you know. Uh, you, you, it's really hard when your, your deals are up to make sure that you're going to be right with the next one, finding enough money, 
you know, because you never have enough money, you're always looking for more. We have 45 full-time employees at BJR now and and some contractors on top of that. So it's important that we, you know, we can keep going for, you know, for no other reason but to make sure that they're all gainfully employed and, and part of that is, is minimising risk and trying not to get yourself in a position where you are, as you said, paying the price a year down the road for a bad decision that you made and there's no way back from it. So the overall strength of V8 supercars or supercars, the company, how does that impact on you at a team level? Oh, well, we get a we get a, a, an income stream from VA Supercars, so, you know, it's important that, that the business is, is strong and going well. I, I just think it's, in, it's important for business as well. I think, um, you know, if, if the mothership is fit and healthy, then that makes it, makes it, you know, a better, better place to be. So we've come off a couple of pretty tough years. We've been through some massive, massive changes with VA Supercars and the ownership. And uh, and that side of things, but I think it's as healthy V8 supercars is as well, supercars is as healthy as I've seen it for a long time. We've both stumbled on the name. What does the name change mean in practical sense? I don't think it really means anything, to tell you the truth. I mean, for me, it's the difference between Brad Jones Racing and BJR. I mean, it's 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 just you know a point of difference, I guess. I I think people love the fact that we run V8s and I can't imagine us not having V8s but if someone happens to turn up with a twin turbo V6 then it doesn't sort of fit the name if it's V8 supercars so I think supercars is appropriate but will it make any difference? Not really, not, not to me anyway. Certainly domestically it's going to have no impact. Internationally though a supercar isn't what we see on the track here. Well it depends what your definition is. I mean, you know, what's your definition? Is it a really fast car that's that's inspirational? Well, I think these are. So it depends how you look at it, really. And for me, um, uh, if, if, if they look at our car and think that this isn't a supercar, just putting the two two letters, you know, V and an 8 in front of it, is that going to change it? Well, you know, they make supercars in Europe that are V8, so if they're confused, it's not going to make any difference. So... You know, I, I think it, for, for, for me it's all about the domestic pro- product. So dropping V8 is probably the right thing to do at the moment if you, you're looking somewhere down the line to have other engine configurations. All right, we've seen a number of changes in the events this year. Have they been right? Are you happy with the uh, outcomes you've got from them in this first quarter? Sorry, say that again. The changes to the event structures, the, oh, right, the changes yeah. to the calendar, the way the, the program, the way the on-track uh, product is uh, reviewed. Yeah, no, I think that the, um, I think that at the moment the race distances, you know, the formats are really good. I think that um, um, I'm really, uh, I think, I think you, you turn up to the race at the moment, you don't know who's going to win. I think that's really, really important for the business. So. I think um, I think we've got it right at the moment. I think the Saturday race is uh, sometimes even more exciting than the Sunday race, and uh, and that's good. So, you know, eleven races, ten different winners. Uh, I think that's you know the results reflect on how good the the format and the business is at the moment. 
Do you think anything needs to be looked moving forward in what we've seen so far, the calendar, the tyres mixed with the race distances? Um, I think at the moment it's not too bad. I don't think it'll be like that forever. I don't think we've all of a sudden stumbled across something that will be perfect forever. What happens is teams tend to work out the fastest way to get from A to B, so if you leave the formats the same year after year after year, it can potentially become boring. So right now, though, with the way things are, I think I wouldn't want to see a change going forward at this point. Um, so I think it's pretty good for the moment, but I don't think it'll be like that forever. Mm. What about media landscape? Because a lot of those deals you were saying you and Kim are doing is predicated on return on investment, and a lot of that is KPI-driven based on television, newspaper articles, and also, um, you know, then the off-the-shelf magazines and, and well, if other... You, if you talk about... Um, numbers, KPIs as numbers, then the numbers that we get are, uh, from Replicon are as good or better than we've ever had in the past. So if you're talking about it from a personal point of view, or not so much even a personal, but from a point of view of someone who doesn't have Fox, then they're not happy because they're, they're seeing replays except at Bathurst. So, you know, all the simulcast events, I should say, the six simulcast events. So so, look, right now, we've got a long time until, until our next media negotiation. What we've got is what we've got. It seems to be working reasonably well. Um, we've got to fulfil the cars. So right now, even if we want to change, I don't know that there'd be an option. I, I'm not saying you need to change, but you're getting the Repicon data, you're looking at the Repicon data. One, do you understand it? And two, do the people you're talking to understand it. I'm not really big on Repicon to be honest. You know, I, I I mean they're just a bunch of numbers but people people look at it and pay attention to it. So it's not just Repicon, it's everything else. You know, it's it's um, just the viewing numbers. It's it's a whole heap of things that contribute to that. But right now yeah I think the numbers are pretty good. What about your own websites? Do you monitor them and how do you monitor them and what value do you put on those properties? Well, we, we monitor everything, you know, from your social media, your website, yeah, and you put a value on all that stuff. So, so um, obviously the big one is the amount of exposure we get at races, but we do a lot of other stuff. We do B2B stuff, money can't buy opportunities. There's a lot of different pressure points that we have within our, our, uh, our proposals to... to Everyone's looking for something a little bit different, so we try and model each package around the needs of that particular sponsor. So, yeah, you know, whether it be a, you know, the website, links, whatever it is, we uh, look at the sponsor and, and try and make sure we give them what they want. More with Brad Jones right after this break here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bought Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. 
Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. We continue our chat now with Brad Jones. Is the sport getting to a level now where the, the personalising and that sort of... Um, particularly the money can't buy experiences, are becoming harder and harder to be able to deliver, particularly over a race weekend? Yeah, there is, but there's always the ability to get people in. You know, like, I, I don't know that they take anyone down to the change rooms in an AFL game before or at half-time. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but I think V8 supercar racing is an opportunity for people to really get in behind the scenes and have a good understanding of what we do. You know, for me, taking someone for a ride in the race car is really a big deal. You can't, you know, there's no point going onto a football field and, and um, you know, could you imagine playing with an NRL club, you get smashed. Um, you, you go and play golf with a really good golfer, it's great to watch him hit the ball, but you can't hit it like him in a V8 supercar. You get strapped in and you experience it at the same level as the guy who's driving. So I think, you know, there's things about this business which are a little unique. And, and, you know, we sell them as hard as we can. So I think all those things contribute. Has the changes in testing been, you think, the right moves? And do you think they're going to play out to having better races? You mean banning testing? Well, no, you've opened it up a bit more by... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, I, I think, look, I, testing's really expensive and I wouldn't like to see us get back where we had a pile of testing. I think... We've opened it up on race meetings where we have more practice and I think that's the right way to go. So I think where we are is, for me, the absolute limit. And I haven't heard too many complaints about not enough tyres this year. Is it no-one's got money to buy new tyres or have you got enough now? No, I think, I think it's really good with tyres at the moment. You know, Archer have been very generous um, with the way they've helped us out with that within the business and, and uh, I think... I think we have the right amount of tyres to get the job done. We're on softs now. It's made for better racing, and, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Have you been told, or do you know, how many races every year as part of the contract you have to uh, engage in? Yeah. How many is that? I don't know. Oh, well, I don't want to share it. <laughs> I don't I mean, no, let, let, let my me next back question, up a little bit. My next question do is... I, do I know how many we... Yeah, there's a certain amount that we... Yeah. That we no, no. That we that we have the ability to do up to, so we don't have to do a number, but within our television contract and within within other parts of the business, we do have minimum amounts. So um, we meet those currently, but we do have room for growth. But we need to be careful careful with growth because with growth comes expense, and I think the teams are, you know, pretty much extended at the moment. So. I wouldn't like to see the number grow from where it is currently. I think it's about the right number. I guess where I was going, though, is this year we are earmarked for 15 events, rounds. I can't keep up with what we're supposed to call them. Neither can the head office. Um, But if we don't have Kuala Lumpur, we're back to 14, which was the number we had last year. Do you have to have 14 races a year to meet your obligations to your other...? 14 meets the number. Okay, so 15 losing Kuala Lumpur, if that was to happen in the unfortunate... I don't think that's a big deal. There'd be no... Because previously we've seen China run at Winton, Bahrain run at Phillip Island, and that's the reason I'm asking. I don't don't think that we would do another event. I'd be very surprised if we did. But that was because you had to. Yeah. Well, that's what they said at the time. 
I wasn't around when, you know, I was just, I wasn't on the board, so I don't know with China, but but right now, I mean, it does have a knock-on effect. It affects the income from the TV, you know, so every extra event we do, it generates money. Um, so it's not so much what what we have to do, it's the financial income, the planning, all that sort of stuff contributes. There's many, many things that contribute to that. But right now, I think that KL... I mean, it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen, but I'd be very surprised if we replaced it with another event in Australia. Interesting, you just said you make more money from another event, but then in the same breath you go, you don't cover your costs at Teamland with another event. Yeah, V8 supercars get more income if we do another event. So obviously that filters down to the teams, but it's not enough to pay us to do an event. So so it's... uh, it's it's quite you know it's a, it's a balancing act and right now the teams have got the maximum amount that they can afford I feel. Do you enjoy what you're doing both at Teamland and Boardland? Oh uh, yeah, I do. I mean, the Teamland's always hard because you have um, you don't have as much success. Well, no, the success you have is euphoric, but you don't win every race, so you know it has has a has a downside to it. Let's say and and being on the board and the commission i really feel like it gives me an opportunity to put something back into the sport it's a it's a lot of work but i really enjoy it and it's a different it's a, it's just different it's it's business so um i i it's very time consuming and quite demanding but also rewarding in a different sort of way and i guess it then allows you to shape what this becomes more so than you can as just an owner yeah, I don't really look at it like that, but but yeah, I mean, I go in there and try as hard as I can to do the right thing for every single team in pit lane, and fight the good fight, and um, be balanced, and offer my knowledge that I've gathered over many years I've been involved in in motorsport, and and um, you know I, I I enjoy it a lot. It's you know, 20 years ago I would never have thought I'd do something like this, but. You know, I really feel like I contribute back into the business and and um, and use my my experience to to make the right decision for the business. Well, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, and all the best for this middle part of the season, which is going to be a very interesting challenge for everyone. Yeah, I think it is. Thanks. Hopefully, we can uh, we can have a bit more success and find a balance. I mean, you know, it's going pretty good at the moment, so. That's always great. Phil Keyd used to work at Brad Jones Racing. Now he's with the new powerhouse DJR Team Penske and he's up after the break here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Well, Phil Kidd, interesting start to the year. How are you feeling in the new environment here after about a third of the year's up? Yeah, good, actually. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, you can easily underestimate jumping to a new, you know, a new team and a new car, and, you know, I mean, obviously drivers got to meet where, 
you know, what they want out of the car and, and where the car is. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's about as you expected. I mean, we've got, we're going quite well sometimes. Other times we struggle and just miss the mark. I mean, often by not much. Our tyre life's not quite good enough yet, but I feel like the, the progress is forward, but you know, it takes a while. Can you talk to me about the company? You've been with a couple of teams. One was owned by a very rich European, the other's owned by some very rich Aubreyites, and now a very, very rich American. Is there a big difference to the way, the mindset, or is this team still in so much in its infancy? Perhaps Global Penske hasn't put his mark on it. Yeah, I mean, I think they, you know, they they set they set the standard of how they want it to be, but they're also letting the team grow. But you know, I mean, know where where it's going and and, and what's expected of us, and and you know, I, I, yeah. So I don't think there's there's a lot of micromanager or anything else. It's just there's an expectation of where we're going to end up, both in conduct and performance. You know, and everything really. So um, no, I mean. It's just the same at the moment. It feels like another Aussie team. Um, we've got good accountability, I think. You know, the, the, the Americans come out, Tim Sindrick and Roger and everybody else. And, you know, I think them paying a close watch is, is really important to, to asking questions of yourself and growing and learning. So, yeah, no, pretty, um, very happy with the setup, actually. It's good. The flavour of the minute, or the flavour of the month, seems to be microsectors. Can you have a chat to us and explain to the layman? What is a microsector and how does it help you? Oh, well, I mean, you know, obviously uh, a couple of years ago they, they started putting in a lot more, they call them position lines effectively, which are, um, you know, it's just so they've got a better read around the track of who's, who's in what position, helps for the TV and for the race control. But, you know, they've released that to the teams. A lot of people have timing software which can pick up and, and read those microsectors. Some are more useful than others, but obviously, you know, it breaks the lap up into smaller bits. You can see certain corners where, you know, normally a, a whole sector has three corners in it. It's harder to tell which is your strengths and weaknesses. So the micro sector just lets you do that. But it's also confusing because a lot of them are in the middle of corners and, you know, some of them are less useful than others. Are you able to do a lot of work with them or is it just a lot of, a lot of talk and it's something else people can talk about? No, I mean, to be honest... I think the drivers usually have a good feel for where they're strong and weak, but you know it gives it gives further further confirmation. Sometimes in sessions when they're out there driving, you know it gives us a good guide of, of the things to work on. But you know, I, I guess it's probably more for information than than something you can use really actively. It's we just we just gather every bit of info we can and try and catalogue it and use it. So. Last night I was wandering by here quite late and. You had had a poor qualifying, which in a short race doesn't give you a lot of options, yeah. even though you had a fast race car. You were pouring over the data. I don't know how many hours you ended up spending on the data, but what were you looking for? What were you trying to work out for here on Sunday? Well, it's just a very different track to anything we've had up till this point in this year, and everything. every new set of circumstances just throws out. The car behaves a bit differently, so... Yeah, I mean, everything. Really just finding my way with the car and understanding Fabs and what he needs. We, we only really missed qualifying a couple of small things, you know, with the difference between 15th and probably top five. So just looking for that, trying to get a feel for what, what we need to do to improve. Mm, I think even today, a tenth of a second difference was like five places. They were splitting five positions yeah, to exactly. uh, a hundredth of a second reading. 
yeah, and half a hundredth a pole. So, you know, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's always that way and, and you are looking just to put together the, they're not always the best sectors, but it's the best lap. So here's, a, here's throwing up a real challenge the way the track's really dirty. So that's another factor that's very hard to sort of factor in. It comes down to the drivers. What do you take from a brand new surface here to a second year surface in Darwin? Uh, look, Darwin will have degraded a bit, but I think it'll still be quite similar to this. So about uh, 20 degrees warmer. A lot hotter. To be honest, this threw up some some challenges. But having overcome a few of them, not all of them, we're not we're not as good as we want to be by any stretch. But having overcome a few of them, I'm now looking forward to another track that I think is going to have a similar characteristic. And Fabs likes Darwin. We did well there last year in in the other yeah, BJR. Um, so yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to Darwin now. And what do you think when you see the car you engineered last year taking the top spec of the podium this year? Is there anything there? Oh, man, I was really happy for them. I was still mates with all that team and those guys. And, you know, we loved, loved my time in Albury and the team. So, yeah, just really happy to see them all up there. And, and uh, you know, they, they, they hosed it two, you know, two from two. So it was fantastic. Mm. I think really you nice. guys did it the first time for BJR in, what was it, Tassie, the first year of the Car of the Future? Something, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, I think they, they, they do a great job. So I'm really happy for them. Mm. Well, have a great uh, couple of weeks. Powering over all the data from this weekend, and I know there's a couple of trick bits you're looking to slip in before Darwin. Yeah, yeah, there are. So no, it's really exciting. So um, you know, I mean, that's the good thing about this team. We're we're never standing standing still. So it's it's exciting. Yeah. Thanks. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at SportRadio.com.au. Or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device, search Inside Supercars.